it's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. Today, we have a great guest. I'm so excited, Kristen, that you could join us on the VHP. The VHP? What? (laughs) um, (laughs) It's going to be good. Uh, I hope that uh, you're super nervous. You're going to be super timid today. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Yeah, sitting on a (laughs) podcast, um, talking about life and and uh, hoping to inspire other people to put love as their motivation for everything that they do. Our first question always is, who are you? Who am I? Um, I would say I am a fundraiser, a relationship builder, and my favorite is probably an opportunity creator. I think I love to help find reasons for people to give of their time and talent and treasure. And even if it's not for the organization that I represent, I think it's really important that that we as community members do that. Um, I'm also a wife and a bonus mom, I say. I think it sounds better than a stepmom, uh, a bonus mom and uh, a dog mom. And a secretly a wannabe comedian, you might get some of my humor in this. You might not. My friends don't think I'm quite that funny. Um, and then behind me, you might see I'm actually a, a fly fishing enthusiast, enthusiastic person, but my husband, um, quickly learned if he takes me fly fishing in the cold, I don't love it. But so we tropical fly fish now. And so that's my jam. I love going places and finding exotic, beautiful fish to to catch on a fly rod. I love that. Yeah, it reminds me of like, I like, I'm like, I like golf. I'm not like super in love with it. But if you're like talking about golfing in like 50 degree weather, like forget about it. That's not what I like at all. And so I could see what you're saying around fly fishing. I feel like that's super incredible. And I also love the bonus mom. (laughs) Yeah, That's such a great way to rebrand that. And I'm definitely going to tell Hannah about that. And we're going to to steal that and start using that. So thank you for that. It sounds better, right? I mean, the kids, there were three, six, and nine when my husband and I started dating, and now they're in their 20s, and I feel like it was a badge of honor when I got a little keychain that said bonus mom instead of stepmom, and I was like, oh, I, I, I like that. I'll take that title, so um, I always have told people, if you, if you say something nice about me or you, 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 you call me by a name that's nice, I'll answer as long as it's nice, so I was honored by that. So... Tell us a little bit about the work that you do uh, in the fundraising realm. So uh, my role at Child's Play, I'm the director of philanthropy and partner experiences. So really fancy way basically to say that I am the one creating the corporate relationships and individual relationships, asking people to entrust us with their money, um, whether that is from their corporation or from from their own pockets um, as they give each month. Um, I work with them to create a meaningful experience to understand our mission and what we're doing inside children's hospitals. Um, I think I also help lead other nonprofits in the sector too, right? As as we're a team of nonprofits in the gaming space working to use games for good and understanding inside children's hospitals. What does it mean when you say you're bringing gaming inside a hospital and how much does it cost to do that? So um, we're funding right now pediatric gaming technology specialists, which are positions inside hospitals that actually get to game with kids and use 
games as a form of distraction during procedures. So uh, I get to tell people all about how their money and their donations are going to impact um, so many patients they'll never even meet. That's interesting that you're involved in that type of work. How did you get involved uh, with Child's Play and how did you grow to the leadership position that you're in today? I actually met Child's Play. They were actually a sponsor of ours at the Children's Hospital. So I worked for Providence and also Children's Miracle Network simultaneously. So it was a role inside the hospital uh, where I got to fundraise. So as I started my journey with the nonprofit sector, I felt very blessed that I landed in a nonprofit organization that was international, yet you were hyper-local. So my job was to activate Walmarts, Costco's, Rite Aid's, all those sponsors in our community to give to the collective of Children's Miracle Network. But the money that I raised in my community stayed for our children's hospital. Uh, and so 17 years, I was able to to live that mission and do that work and uh, was also given more responsibility in the hospital overseeing what's called Child Life, which is a team that works on the psychosocial interventions for kids during um, procedures in the hospital during a stay, helps educate them on what's going to happen. Um, they usually have a background in education or in psychology. And so I was working with that team and Child's Play was actually a sponsor of our hospital. And so I got to know them really well. And um, I think as you and I had talked before a little bit about my career journey, um, I think as my role changed within the hospital and I went through um, a job elimination, which I know we'll probably talk about a little bit more in this, that um, I, after months of kind of taking a break, I found Child's Play and reached out to them and was able to connect and join the team and now learning a whole side of gaming that while I knew it was good, I didn't know the impact it really would have um, inside our children's hospitals at this magnitude. So how do you know that, um, because you would probably, I would imagine that you have a lot of proponents against gaming because, you know, it, it hasn't been the norm for most uh, people that are baby boomers. You know, they're used to basically just being thrown outside and, and playing sports, et cetera, or you know, whatever it may be. And, and, but I would imagine a lot of those people are in the leadership positions that you're trying to gain and garner support from. So I'm uh, just curious as to like, how do you pitch it uh, about how gamings are good for children? And how do you know that? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey, right? Because as parents, often we preach that only one hour of screen time or how much is too much gaming or games are violent, which is actually the way in which Child's Play um, was founded, was that gamers aren't bad, gamers do good. And our founders during that time, kind of like the rhetoric that was last year or the year before, you know, that that gaming can be bad, we found gaming can be good. And we, we've done that on a, on a a few fronts. One is partnering with a company called EDAR who rates games and they work with um, Berkeley and they have studied games to say what games can create cognitive interruptions like to distract you from pain, right? So if you were playing a Mario Kart or an Overcooked or a game that stimulates kids' brains in a way because it's high, high functioning and quick and fast, it can alleviate pain. But if a child was feeling anxiety in a hospital, we wouldn't want to put them in a game that was high stress and high anxiety. So we've actually put a lot of money into this research to say to clinicians and caregivers, because we're not all gamers, here are games that can help with boredom, with pain, with anxiety, with stress. 
um, and give examples. So it's on our website, actually, um, this little quick guide that shares with you um, how that might help and the why behind it. Um, we've also seen a lot of uh, VR and AR that are used to distract patients during lumbar punctures, during procedures. So kids don't have to go without the NPO, right? So the night before you can't have, you know, before surgery, you can't have any food and water. We can alleviate that because the child doesn't have to be sedated. And also as a parent, nobody wants their child to have to have extra medication that they don't need. And hospitals are scary enough. So if we can meet them at a realm in which kids are comfortable with or find fun in, um, it can truly change the patient experience and the family experience. Because um, I don't know about you, but I've had friends who are like, oh, I had a really bad experience as a child in a hospital. I don't, like, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm fine. I'm healthy. And that shaped who they were from that experience of how they see healthcare now. And so we want to avoid that for kids into the future to understand that it's approachable and easy and, and that we find ways for them to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit more about the operation of, of Child's Play and how you kind of like make the decision on, on the types of games that kids would be playing for the different scenarios too. That's very interesting. Never yeah. really thought, you know, growing up playing Mario Kart, never thought about, about that and how that would apply in a clinical setting. So that's very cool. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this show is all about inspiring virtuous leadership, but before we go there, we usually take a stop and, and dive into the vices. You brought up a little bit about uh, being let go from a position. Can you speak about uh, some of the vices that you had to overcome in order to reach your present leadership capabilities? Yeah, for sure. So I think that um, when you work in the nonprofit sector, or I think any of us, even if you're not in the nonprofit sector, sometimes as we start our career or we're in our career, you're chasing something, right? You're chasing that next title or you're chasing what that job might look like or what it might be. And I was so engaged and enthralled in the work that I was doing at the Children's Hospital. I think I didn't see the cost that it was coming at to me personally and for my family, right? And so, um, as I said, I was asked to lead other departments and one of the departments had had seven leaders in 10 years. And yeah. you could tell they were a bit, I don't want to say broken is not the right word, but they were bruised and they were untrusting and they, they were craving leadership. And I was so excited to go in and help work with this team and try to find some healing. And what I didn't realize in the process, I could see so clearly where they needed to be. Right. And, and that was part of my role is like, I see the vision of where we want to go. I see how we can get there. And, um, I clearly now recognize I rushed the process and in doing so, instead of allowing the team to find their path and do some course correction, I kind of just straight lined it like we were going on, I, you know, on I-90 and we need to get here and we need to heal quickly and then move forward on the next vision. And I lost a lot of trust in the team. The team lost trust in me, I should say, um, and were very apprehensive and, and nervous and, um, the hospital, while my job was going well on the fundraising side and the relationship in the community side, it wasn't going well over here. And they made a decision to eliminate my job. So I think when you talk about the vice to overcome, right, I was looking at embarrassment, bruised ego, fear, like all the things that come that are counter vices of like, what did I just do in my career? What just happened 17 years of my life um, is gone and it's all I knew. And um, I don't know, I felt like I needed, I, I always had that want to connect with people 
and my community and find people. And so I had to spend eight hard months. Um, I'd been there a long time. You know, I was, I was sent on my way with a, you know, here's your job elimination, but I had to lean into the hard things, the humility and the patience and compassion. I think courage and then hope, like what's it going to look like for me in the future? And what does it even mean? Because my identity was my job. Um, and it, it was tough and it was, it, it was, it was really tough process that I don't think a lot of people talk about. You know, they talk about what's it like when you eliminate your jobs eliminated, or if you're a leader who's eliminating someone else's job, I see it so differently now as a leader, because it's happened to me. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Well, thank you for being vulnerable to even share about that. I'm curious yeah. as to, you know, having gone through, and how long ago was that? Um, it was June of 2018. So three, a little over three years ago. Yeah. So thinking about, because I would imagine with COVID that a lot of people's jobs, there's been a lot of people whose jobs have been eliminated. Mm -hmm. And there's also been a lot of people whose jobs have been repurposed as well. Mm -hmm. So just thinking, and I would imagine that a lot of people might either be in the middle of this journey or going to be in the middle of this journey shortly. So if you had to kind of go through that whole journey again over that eight months of being without a job and kind of like going through that grieving process, is there anything that you would do differently? I, I don't know if I would say differently, but I definitely like, I share with others to lean into it because I really feel like I did lean into it hard. Um, the uncomfortableness, probably the first three weeks, I would say, um, what I would do different is not dwell. Um, it happened on a Tuesday, June 5th. Like you just don't forget that day. Right. And it happened in a way, um, I was devastated and I called a few of my mentors, including the CEO of CMN national. And he had such great advice of, you know, take a moment, take a breath think, you know, I want you to wait a week and then let's talk again. And, and here's, this isn't the end. Here's what it means. But for me, I think those first three weeks, it was a bit of a fog and I didn't realize the gift of time that I was given. And, mm -hmm. um, and so hoping people can see that gift of time sooner or reach out to someone who's been through it before that they could, you could say to them, here's a plan. Like every day, what's your one thing you're going to do today? that's going to make you better than you were yesterday. Like it is a conscious choice to be in the game, right? It's a conscious choice. So for me, I had a few books. I love Greg McEwen um, who wrote Essentialism and it's the disciplined pursuit of less, but better. I would only listen to that book if I went on a walk. So it forced me every day to go get physical exercise, be on a walk, engage in the book on an audio book. And I would, that was my reward. Like you get to listen to this book you want. And so finding little carrots that still had you, create purpose and growth um, is important. I think the other thing is what's unfinished. Is there something unfinished for you personally that you can take that gift of time and make yourself better so that when you go to the next job opportunity or you're talking to someone about what's next, you talked about how you use this time 
to either heal yourself, make yourself better, reconnect with people, but that you did something with it, right? It is a gift. And as much as I didn't see it as a gift then, um, and as I worked through it, I saw it as a gift and as it came to an end, I got very nervous about losing that gift of time that I had and all this me time, but it also changed how I lead and show up today. And I'm so thankful for it. Awesome. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. And I think, um, yeah, the first is that sometimes <laughs> like, I just do really bad about, um, I think that especially in the agency world, there's oftentimes where like, you're trying to plan the best that you can for your life and like your work, like the amount of projects that you're involved in. But then sometimes clients just go, boop, and then you've got all of a sudden your life is chaos. <laughs> and right. so- uh, especially like for me in my journey, like, you know, walking into a new home and then taking on like a bunch of new positions at the same time, like it's just trying to manage all of that. And, and so like when you're talking about like just having like eight months of like your own personal time, like, oh man, I wish I could get some of that, like, you know, just so many things to be able to work through. But at the end of the day, you know, it's easy. I'm sure it's also very easy to be able to slip into like the woe is me you know, having, you know, struggling with depression, trying to get out of the sweatpants every day, and to actually try to make that a, a meaningful um, period of your life. Um, but I, you're probably like, where's the question in that, Chris? <laughs> Where I'm getting to it, I promise, Kristen. So yeah, the question, you mentioned that like, okay, well, now you've been showing up, like, you're so happy for it, because you see it as a blessing now, because of the way that you were able to spend that time in your own personal growth development. So just kind of curious as to like how that blessed you to be able to showing up differently now as leader versus before that experience. Um, I think the first thing was I took a vacation without a job. And if it teaches anybody anything, especially me, I didn't have a job, right? So I didn't have email to check. I didn't have that thought of what's at home and what's happening. I was with my husband in Hawaii and I actually like had no reason to take my phone with me to the beach. And I was like, this is weird. Like what's happening around me? And every leader should do that. When we say take a vacation and we say work-life balance, it's a thing. And people say, oh, there's no such thing as work-life balance. And there is, it's just called boundaries, right? And so defining boundaries for yourself, I definitely have a, a work boundary and a personal boundary. And I, I also understand that I can work differently. So I don't have to work a traditional 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. or eight to five, or I don't have to be available at midnight. I can, I can have a stopgap that says to people, I'm sorry you missed me today. I'll be back in the office at this time tomorrow. Look forward to connecting to you. And I don't feel the need to rush in and say, well, this email just came in. I have to get back to this person right away. It's unrealistic. And, and so how do we set clear expectations? I think when you start over in a position, it's the first time you get to set your boundary and keep it. And it's a norm, right? Where if you slip in that and you just are always available and you're always there, people expect that from you forever. And so I have a very clear boundary. I don't take my work phone out of my office after I leave for the day because I work at home. I leave it here. And the staff has my personal number. If something bad happened, please call me. But there's nothing that's earth shattering enough unless it's one of our team members have been hurt or, you know, something like that. I want to know. But I, I know that I did my job for the day. I did it well. I was focused. And now it's time for family and friends. And taking breaks during the day. If I block myself out for three hours because I want to go read a book on the deck and, and, and learn more leadership or learn more connectivity into fundraising. I've allowed myself space to do that as well. And so it doesn't always have to come on your own personal time, right? You can do fulfillment and growth during your workday. 
No, I love that as well. And I think that I'm definitely one of those people that's guilty of that, that, that I, I really, you know, I've talked about this in a couple of the, the latest episodes that I think that I get burnout because I really am like available 24 seven and, and I can see how it is detrimental to my family of like, you know, you're trying to be connected with your loved ones and then you get in bad email of, you know, like the, something isn't going right with the client or, you know, whatever it may be. And it like puts you in a, into a bad mood and then you're struggling to be present versus like, okay, I need to go take care of this instead of just like, you know what, it's okay. Like I can let that go and I can pick that back up when I need to pick that back up and trust that everything is going to be okay without you having to be present 24 seven, because you know, as we're talking about, then it really, then you struggle as a person to be present uh, in the situation that you're in. And um, yeah, I think that when you were talking about being in Hawaii without your phone, that's funny. Because, like, I can imagine a lot of leaders that are listening to this podcast right now thinking, like, when is the last time that you've seriously taken a vacation without your cell phone and not actually had to, like, be checking email or doing whatever, but actually was just like completely off the grid for that period that you're vacationing. And um, you know, I think we all deserve that, especially with like in this this new era that we're in and COVID or post-COVID or whatever it's called <laughs> nowadays. Right. Still COVID. Yeah, still COVID, still yeah. kind of COVID, very much COVID. Um <laughs> like just uh just how overworked and how burned out people are, et cetera, to to really be able to unwind and uncheck and be able to get that me time. Or be like, live your life in a way, I, I feel like, you know, obviously we want to hold ourselves, I always say to a standard of grace and excellence, not perfection. But I recently read an article, and I wish I knew who it was by, it's on my LinkedIn. But it was the most incredible leader who said, um, if we're in a Zoom call at four or five, and you're making, you're making dinner while we're talking, because it's a late meeting, I'll never judge you, but I want the recipe. Or if you're doing that, like you're dropping your kids off and you're listening and your face isn't on the camera, I understand it might be because you're trying to be safe when you're driving. And just this freedom that also as leaders, treating our team members and those we work with, with the same respect as adults as we all are. I think there's nothing more empowering than when you have a leader who is like, I trust you to do your work. If you felt like today you really dove in and you did four hours of hard work and you need a break and you need to go out and play with your children that you have the freedom to do that without guilt and without reservation that you might be in trouble. Like this notion of trouble at work versus giving your all. And so coming in the gaming space, that's something I've learned. Everyone works really different hours. So like I'll say to the team, I have to write a grant today. I'm working on Saturday because no one's going to be dinging my email or I'm shutting my email off today and I'm going to take a different day off, but I'm shutting my email off. I'm putting a note and they're like, oh, okay, great. It's like, oh, when you set your own boundaries, people actually respect them. Mm. We're just bad at boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so as we kind of uh, leave the <clears throat> vices side over to the virtue side, just curious if there's any virtues that you feel like, like you've just been especially gifted with. Do you have any I know sometimes in the secular world, they might call them superpowers. I just call them, you know, virtues that just are, you know, ultimately natural giftings that you've received to be able to like bless the world with. Um, I think it's sometimes always hard. I'm really glad that um, I was able to think about that a little bit from our last conversation to now. Um, two things stand out to me. One um, is creativity. I, I remember 
I've always felt creative and I always feel like what you put yourself out there, like when you're creative and you're kind of dropping it on the world of here's my idea, you kind of cross your fingers that it's going to catch on. And when it does, you feel incredible. And if it doesn't, you're like, Ooh, I'm a creative that hit me kind of hard. But the, the CEO of Providence at the time of the region here, she said to me, I was one of the five most creative people she'd ever worked with. Ooh. And for me, that was creating the patient experience is what I love, but it allowed me to be really creative and like an example quickly would be like the kids at the hospital at Christmas don't get to go do holiday light tours like we all do with our kids and families. So I actually proposed to the city and the news station and a sponsor that we light the park down below the hospital so that every child every night, the lights would go on at dusk and go off in the morning. And not recognizing what glimmer of hope that brought to families who said, my child is fighting cancer and this is our last Christmas and we have Christmas lights. Hmm. So something that I felt was creative actually changed their lives and have a different story for them from their journey. So for me, creativity is one of them. Um, the other I would say is integrity. And that really came through for me through the process of my job elimination. Um, I closed a, a million dollar gift five days before my job was eliminated. Mm. And to be able to say to that sponsor who called me and said, we're pulling our gift. And I said, why on earth would you do that? And she said, well, what they did to you. I said, that doesn't change the need that that children's hospital has for that money. Like, because I'm not there doesn't mean you shouldn't give. You weren't giving to me. You were giving to that hospital. And so having integrity when donors called me and sponsors called me to do the right thing and to always hold myself at that standard of grace that I, while I made mistakes in my job, I'm still an, a person of integrity and truth and justice. And I meant what I said, I believe, at that hospital. Um, I think spoke more volumes than anything I could have ever done. And so I think I still live with that same integrity. And I think that as a fundraiser, you have to. I mean, other people are entrusting me with their money. Yeah, so so why and where does your North Star come from, if you will, Kristen? Um, you know, I was I was raised um, Missouri Synod Lutheran in a really religious family. And my mom and dad always said we had to give of our time, talent, and treasure. Um, but I think it's it's always that hope that you're leaving it better than you found it, right? Mm -hmm. And that you even if you impact one person's day or one person's life, or like that story of that mom who said to me, this is our last Christmas. I realize how fortunate I am that I hope I have many more, but my children were healthy and I didn't go through that. And so um, I just feel like it's this, it is a bucket filler upper for me to create those experiences and have those, those memories. It's, it's like almost that endorphin of like, it's, it's my jam and it gets to be where I had to find that boundary of it. But um, I think you can stand back and you can say, I helped make my community better. And if you get to do that for your job, like what an honor. And you're only as good as your name. So you better keep it clean and pure and good, right? And that's, that's, that's my hope, I think, for me, for my children, for my husband, I think, as, as we make choices in our lives. And I hope someone says, oh, I remember she impacted our community in that way. Well, well thank you for sharing. And, and uh, yeah, excited to see the way that this episode and your words um, bless others. So, so thank you for sharing in that way. How can people get a hold of you and, and the work that you're doing at Child's Play, Kristen? So uh, my LinkedIn profile, super easy to find me there. And also on the Child's Play website, it's um, childsplaycharity.org. All of our information, my digits, they're all on there. So you can text me, call me. I'm way better at text. I hate voicemail. If I have to be honest, I'm really bad at it. So text me if you want to reach me or email. Um, I'll call you back, but I'm just bad at checking voicemail. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm kind of one of those people that I'll leave the voicemail, but I'll also text too. So I'm hitting it in, in two different ways. You know? Then I can just delete that voicemail and text you right back. Like, <laughs> like I appreciate that because I'm really not going to listen to the voicemail. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for watching us on the Virtuous Heroes podcast where we inspire virtuous leadership. And we hope that you have an incredibly blessed day. Thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.